Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you show us through St. Peter that the end of all things is at hand. May we live as those who live in the shadow of eternity, not being daunted by the fears and troubles of this world, but by the hope of knowing that you will come again to judge the living and the dead, that all would be made right, and that we would finally know the fullness of being citizens of your kingdom. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. One of the neat things about living in Prescott is that there's two natural features that are kind of hard to escape. As you drive into town on on 89A, you see Granite Mountain there looming in the distance over the town. And then as you're driving down Gurley into downtown, it's hard to miss Thumb Butte sort of right dab smack in the middle of it. If we were to wax poetically about what this means, it, it means that we live in the shadow of these geological features. We live in the shadow of Granite Mountain and Thumb Butte. They're always there to remind us of where we are. They're in the forefront of our minds. This morning, we read from St. Peter that the end of all things is at hand. And what he's telling us is that we live in the shadow of eternity. For those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who know the Lord, eternity is to be at the center of our mind, the good news of his coming. But this week, we were overshadowed by something else. We were overshadowed by by lots of bad news, not just one piece of bad news, but if you listen to the news perhaps more than you should, you would know that at the beginning of the week, one of the country's largest Protestant denominations had a major scandal rack its way through it, where pastors were let off the hook for behaving in ways that are not pastorly. If this weren't heartbreaking enough, later in the week, We all know the horrible events that happened in Texas as evil was unleashed. So we also have imminent reminders that we live in the shadow of sin. Whether it be our own sin or when evil rears its ugly head, it is easy to give way to despondency. It is easy to sit in our holes and be scared, to sit and be frightened of the world, to cry, to be heartbroken. It is easy to let this overcome us and forget that first part of our calling. It is easy to forget that we are also called to live in the shadow of eternity. Something else happened this week, and we celebrated, gathered to celebrate, Ascension. Ascension seals for for us some promises, some really important promises that help us to maintain our march towards Christ. First and foremost, it seals for us the fact that we have a great high priest who can synthesize, sympathize, not synthesize, can sympathize with what we're going through. He knows heartache. He knows pain. He knows sorrow. Now, if you don't remember why it's so important to have a great high priest, the fact that when we fell, when we sinned, we were separated from God, and no longer could we look upon the face of God. That was part of that curse 
when Adam rebelled against God. No longer could they walk and look at the face of God, but they, we were separated as humanity. And so the priests of the Old Testament acted as sort of an intermediary. They would offer sacrifices, and therefore they could go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and know God. But now we have a great high priest who is not a mere human, but who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who takes our prayers and offerings and sets them before our Father. And he can sympathize. He knows these pains and helps us to make our way through this life. But there's something even more. We are also promised that Christ will return again. Christ will return again to judge the living and the dead, to make all things right. So in our sin-sick world, in our torn-up world, where we face trials and troubles and pain, we have a great hope that he will come again, that he will make all things right. And And to set us free and inaugurate the kingdom of heaven fully, on earth. In other words, to make the kingdom of heaven a reality that we live in. So ascension seals these two promises for us and we look forward to his coming again. And because of that, St. Peter reminds us that we are called to view the world in the reality that the end of all things is at hand. Now, I know it's a bit strange to be thinking about this fact that St. Peter wrote this some 2,000 years ago, writing, the end of all things is at hand, and yet we're still waiting for Christ's return. But the reality is, is when he ascended on high and sent the Holy Ghost to dwell among us, to send the Holy Spirit to be our helper, as we read this morning, it sealed the end of times. So we've been living in the end times for 2,000 years waiting and hoping for Christ's return. It could be today, it could be in another thousand years, but Christ will come again. And then St. Peter uses the word that if you're in our Christian ed class, should pop our attention. He says, therefore. So when you read therefore in scripture, pause and think, well, what's the connection between the end of all things at hand and what comes next? What comes next is a therefore, this is how we are to live in the reality that the end of all things are at hand. He writes, be self-controlled and sober-minded. If we want to understand these these words a little better, the word self-controlled might better be rendered be sane. It's the same word that, that is used in the Gospels to describe the, the man who had a, a hundred demons in him after the demons were driven out and he was sitting in his right mind and everybody was amazed. Be sane or be in right mind, not driven by the winds and whirls of the world, but driven by the fact that the end of all things are at hand, the fact that we live in the shadow of eternity. Be self-controlled or well-balanced. Be sober-minded. It's the same idea again. Don't be ruled by emotions. Don't be ruled by the world, but ruled by Christ and his promise to return again. And this begs the question, 
The question that we want to ask every so often, what is catechizing you? What is making you who you are? Is it the gospel of Christ? Is it the teachings of the church? Or is it the teachings of the world? What rules you and shows you who you are to be? But why does Peter say we're to be these ways? It is for the sake of your prayers. Now, this seems perhaps odd. We might think, well, we want to be self-controlled. We want to be be sober-minded because, obviously, we want to be focused on the right things. But that's not what Peter says. He says it is for the sake of your prayers. In other words, it forms your prayer life. And then if we pause and think about one specific prayer, all of a sudden this starts to fold together. What is it that Christ teaches us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He opens with praise. But then the first part of his prayer is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He tells us to pray for the fullness of his kingdom to come. And this again is what we focus on. The kingdom coming into the world. The kingdom becoming what we are truly, fully citizens of. This is our desire, that the kingdom would come. And it is at the center of the gospel. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, if you are in Christ, your name has already been written in the book of life. Think about that for a minute. Your name is already written in the book of life. You are already made citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Regardless of the struggles, regardless of the pain, regardless of the frustration, regardless of the hurt, the sin that you come here today, if you are in Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And along the same lines, what if we prayed for revival? We like this idea of praying for revival, and in our hearts we know that that is something that is desperately needed. But I read something about praying for revival recently, or a while ago actually, that stuck with me. What if we prayed for revival, not out there, but first within our self? What if our prayer started with the simple prayer of Lord, let there be revival, but let it start with me. Because the reality is, is even if we're already strong, even if you're already rich in Christ, revival will help your heart and will help you to grow closer to Christ. And if you grow closer to Christ, what will this mean for your witness? What will this mean for your church, your community? for the world around you. Revival starts not out there, but within yourself. And so I invite you all to pray for revival. And then St. Peter goes on to describe our living in the shadow of eternity, of having a fervency of love. He writes, above all Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality one to another without grumbling. 
as St. Peter describes love here, it's a self-giving love. It's a love that puts others before yourself. It's a love that lays down your life for others that they may know the depth and breadth of the love of Christ. Paul talks about this in a similar way, although he talks about it as brotherly affection. But the way he describes it sticks with me in and out. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Think about that for a moment. How would that change your marriage? How would that change your interactions with your brothers and sisters in Christ at church? How would that change your interaction with people in general? If you strove not to show how amazing you are, not to outdo one another with how great I am, but if you outdid one another in showing each other honor, what would that look like in your lives? A friend of mine wrote a book, and his favorite quote from it, I think, is this. It's hard to hate somebody that you pray with. It's even harder to hate someone that you pray for. What if our showing love was praying even for those people that we struggle to love? Praying for them that if they don't know Christ, that they would come to know him. Praying that if there's some major sin in their lives, they would repent of it. Praying for them might be the simplest act of loving them. And then Peter talks of the risky joy of hospitality. Sometimes hospitality seems difficult or frustrating. Sometimes it seems like it's a pain, but he says, no, show hospitality without grumbling. There's a book about being a good neighbor, and there's a little quote in it that I can't help but forget, which talks about, don't worry about the fact that you have a piece of macaroni and cheese stuck to your couch, which until I had a child, I didn't entirely understand why you might have a piece of macaroni and cheese stuck to your couch, but now I do. Hospitality can be difficult. Hospitality can be inconvenient. Hospitality can mean you walk into church and find there's a guest sitting where you normally sit. And instead of being like, well, you're in my seat, which, by the way, I've had happen to me, and it's really weird. You say, hi, my friend, can I worship with you? And then you sit next to them, and you show them how we worship here at All Saints. Hospitality could mean inviting people over, even when your house is imperfect, when there's a pile of dishes in your sink. Hospitality is inconvenient, but hospitality is necessary. So show hospitality. Give love in a self-giving way. And be good stewards of the great gifts that you have been given. Each one of you has been given different gifts. Some of you are good with money. Other of you are good with words. Other of you are actually really good at giving hospitality. Others of you are really encouraging. Others of you are really faithful in prayer. These are good gifts. And just because you're really good with one thing and not so good with another doesn't make you somehow more valuable in the church. St. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about us being a body. 
And part of the problem that was happening in the Corinthian church is there were two groups. There were the group of the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And they both thought they were better than each other. Well, I'm better because I'm a Jewish Christian, or I'm better because I'm a Gentile Christian. And they missed the point that they were all one body. And then some people would be like, well, I want to be a preacher, but they weren't called to being preachers. They were called to do something else. Or I want to prophesy, and they weren't called to prophesy, but to pray. So often we look at that person's gift and say, I want to be like that person. Well, other people look at other people's gifts and want to be like that other person. But we've each been given gifts, and these gifts are from the Lord, and they're all important. Because we are a body, and you are part of it. So whether you're the foot or the hand, the mouth or the eyes, your job is equally important. Because the body needs each of those. But Peter, unlike Paul, picks two gifts. The first gift is speaking in oracles. If we go back to the Old Testament, or speaking in general, to which he says, speak as though you speak in oracles. And if we go back to the Old Testament, we see that oracles often happen when the Lord comes to a prophet and he says what the Lord has said. Now, when I get up in the pulpit, or when you study the Bible with somebody, and you talk about what it means and how, how you unpack it, you aren't speaking as though you have the authority of God. It's not as though I'm up here and what I'm saying is even remotely equivalent to sitting down and reading scripture. But if I, don't, if I get in the pulpit and I don't speak with fear and trembling, if I don't attempt to be faithful to the word of God, then I miss the point. And I'm not doing what Paul, Peter says. But rather, I'm called to work through the scripture. I am called to understand what this means and to tell you what it means in the light of scripture. I am called to speak, to remind you of God's goodness and grace and mercy, his justice and love, so that you would know him better. I'm called, in short, to speak in a way that glorifies him and not myself. I am called to speak as an emissary for the kingdom of heaven. Speak as a heaven, as an, as an ambassador of this kingdom. And likewise, when you represent him, Peter tells you, speak to glorify him. Speak to honor him. Speak as an ambassador. And then he goes on, to talk about serving one another. Serving one another by the strength that God supplies. It's very easy to muster our wills to do things. It's very easy to get up and think about what I am going to do today. But Peter says, no. Get up today to serve one another by God's strength. Next week, we'll talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit has been given to you and to I. The Holy Spirit has endued us. And that that is the strength that we serve by. We serve by being dependent upon God. That is the reminder that we need this morning. The reminder that all our gifts, whatever they may be, come from God and not from our own will. When we serve by God's strength, 
Like when we speak as though we speak oracles, we glorify God. Remember, he will use you if you serve by his strength to glorify himself. What higher calling can you imagine? And then Peter ends with this little doxology to bring him glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I like the way that the Orthodox Church actually translates this final phrase. They translate it, unto the ages of ages. It means basically the same thing, but there's something sort of awkward and pausing about unto the ages of ages, and that it reminds us of something. It reminds us that we live in the shadow of eternity. So we do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the fact that God dwells in us, by the fact that he has given us the gifts because we belong to the ages of ages. We belong to the shadow of eternity, to this eternity that's coming for us. And it is this ages to ages, this heavenly kingdom that we look forward to. So let that be the thing that you live in the shadow of, no matter what tomorrow brings, the reality that God's kingdom is partly in sight now and will be in sight fully someday soon. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.